As I was studying this word, follow, and as we've been looking at this word, follow, I found that Jesus talked about this subject a lot. In fact, the four books where he's walking around, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You see this man just walking around earth. He has this extraordinarily characteristic called relationship. It's the most important thing to him. It's the biggest thing to him. He's walking around, he's talking to people, and he's building relationship more than anything else. And so as I get overwhelmed at times with culture and words and what's going on in the Old Testament and just some of the crazy stories, when I look at Jesus Christ himself, I see a man who wanted a relationship with me. And I think the creator of the universe... The guy up in the sky speaking things into existence actually wants to have a relationship with me. And I take, I take a step back and I think, no, that's ridiculous. But then I read this book and it's overwhelmingly telling me over and over again that yes, the creator of the universe, yes, he did that. But his most important thing was you and I. And then this most important part of that was his relationship with you and I. And as we follow him, we actually find that he wants a relationship with us. He tells the stories. These stories are of like the father and their son. And as he sees the father and the son, he speaks of, you know how much you love your child. You know how much you created your child and you think of him, the world of him. I am the creator of the creation. I am the one that was with the very beginning. I care so much more than you ever could even care about your own child. He speaks of that relationship that's there. He talks about the vine and the branch. And as he's talking about the vine and the branch, he goes into this depth of how they are connected. And the vine can do nothing, or the branch can do nothing without the vine. In fact, if the branch was to be cut off, it would die. And so many, I feel like, have been cut off and are dying inside because they have forgotten that it's most importantly about relationship. This vine and branch, the, the, the branch is the thing that's flourishing, the flower, the, the fruit, everything's coming off of that, but it's only happening because of its connection to the vine. That relationship between the two is what allows God to work in us and do beautiful, wonderful things. Do you love that? The shepherd and the sheep. Now, there might be some farmers in here. There probably are not many shepherds. Back in that culture, there would have been a lot of shepherds in the crowd. It would have made a lot of sense. So here today, it might be sort of a bad example. But but the shepherd and the sheep, we still get the concept of it, right? The sheep know the father's voice. The sheep will follow the father anywhere. In fact, they will they will literally follow that voice right off the side of a cliff if it told them to. Luckily, our God doesn't do anything like that. But still, we get the idea of this relationship being so deep that you know the voice. Do we have that type of relationship where you just know the voice? It only happens when we're following him. As we go throughout the Bible, it's story after story. One of my favorites actually comes from Matthew. He, uh, he titled his book really creatively. He called it Matthew. And it's chapter 9, verse 9, where he finds Jesus for the first time. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. You have to understand a tax collector. We sort of, we sort of get tax collecting 
But this tax collector goes to another level. What was happening was the Roman Empire is the conquering power. So they like have the whole world. But they can't tax the world. It's not so easy. The mail system isn't quite as good in this time period. So what they would do is they would auction off rights for tax collecting. Then the rich and the powerful would take those rights because when you had the rights and the power of the Roman Empire behind you, you could tax anything. So they would tax every crossroad. They would tax those crossroads when you crossed them. They would tax every bridge, every pole. They would tax wine and food. Anything they could think of, they would tax. I mean, can you imagine living in a culture like that where they're just thinking up taxes for you? It was just amazing. So the tax collecting first was auctioned to the rich and powerful. There might be some Jews in there that would have had that, but most likely it was still that far off sort of Romans and the rich kind of taxing me. You could sort of be angry about it, but then it would take, it would go one step further. They would come into your neighborhood and they would hire, say, your next door neighbor and say, well, you tax these three streets. So then you're out mowing your lawn one morning, you know, and you, you go inside your house and your next door neighbor comes over and knocks on the door and goes, uh, there's a mowing the lawn tax. It's a dollar. And, you know, because we have to take care of the cuttings and the trash can, and then those got to go somewhere. We got to take care of that area. So you understand. So I'm going to need my dollar. So they would take the dollar. That's your next door neighbor. What would you think about your next door neighbor coming up and getting the taxes from you? That's Matthew. That's who this person is. It may be one thing to be mad at the Roman Empire. It might be another thing to be mad at the rich. But your next door neighbor coming over and collecting the dollar for every time I mow my lawn, that guy I hate, right? That's Matthew. So now Jesus walks in, and Jesus is a rabbi. He's the savior. People know him and think that he is the conquering power that's going to finally release them from the Roman Empire. That's what they're thinking. It's much bigger what he's really doing is going to free them from all of the world and all for all of eternity, but they don't know that. They think, finally, our Savior, finally, he's going to free us from this Roman Empire, finally. And then he's walking in your neighborhood, and you're like, the rabbi's here, and you have a little following behind him. And then he walks up to your neighbor's house, and you're like, yes! Finally, he's going to get this guy. He's going to call down fire and just, or just tell him how awful he is. And you're so excited. And he walks up to the door, knocks on the door, and he says, follow me. And you're thinking, wait, 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 what? First of all, can it be that simple? Just follow me, that's it? And this guy, after everything he's done, after all he's done, he can just follow you? Second of all, that's Matthew. That's the tax collector. Why in the world would you go to him? I, how about me? Come over to my house. But no, you go over there. We actually don't have to really guess what people were thinking. They say it in the very next verse, in verse 10. It says, Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, so he walks in, and many tax collectors are there. So now he's brought all his buddies in, and all the buddies are in there, and sinners, the sinners don't want to be associated with tax collectors. It's like, yeah, I'm a sinner, but don't call me a tax collector. That's really bad. So there's a separation there. Sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and the sinners? They can't wrap their head around what in the world are you doing? 
But when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know what really scares me about these verses? Jesus is always really comfortable around people who we may not be comfortable with. The sinners, the tax collectors, those, the least of these. He's so comfortable around them that he's reclining at the table. He's not, he's not just sitting at the table. He's reclining. He's like, yeah, guys. You know what I mean? This, this savior of ours is very comfortable around people that we may not be comfortable with. We have to be very careful in a setting like this to make sure we understand who Christ was, what it meant to follow him. Because where we see Christ is he may not be in this room. He may be out with those that we wouldn't have gone to, those that were not around constantly. He would be out. And if you're new to Christianity and you're feeling uncomfortable in church, uncomfortable around Christians, you probably would have felt very comfortable around Jesus. And those of us that have been longtime Christians, we have to step back and say, why is Christ so comfortable around people that are very new and very, who we wouldn't think would be around him? And as a pastor, this is a big deal to me. I mean, I kind of have given my life to the church and, and this walk of God. I want to know the answer to questions like this. I want to make sure that my life is following him the right way. Uh, it's a big deal to me because if he was here, I'd want to be hanging out with him, probably asking him a million questions. He'd be very annoyed with me. He probably already is annoyed with me because I'm asking those questions anyway. Here's what I have found. If you're a bad apple, just to give an illustration on this, and a bad apple in the grocery store, and you come up and you're like, yeah, this is, this is the apple I want. You know that apple, because it has a, a brain and a soul, <laughs> it says, all right, yes, you chose me. There was all these good apples, and you chose me. They're excited. Whereas all the good apples, when you pick those apples, they're like, well, yeah, I expect to be picked. I mean, look at me. I, it's a really dumb example, but you get the idea. When people are all of a sudden told, hey, the savior and creator of the universe, he cares about you, he wants a relationship with you, they seem to step up and say, well, okay, awesome, they're excited. And those of us that are trying to be really good apples, sometimes they're like, well, of course you chose me. I mean, look at me. But before we get too comfortable, so if you're new and this is your first time here and you're like, all right, I'm feeling pretty good. Remember what he said, verse 11, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Matthew must have sort of taken a double take and goes, hey, wait a second. That wasn't, that wasn't very politically correct, Jesus. And I feel like Jesus was so comfortable in his own skin that he looks back at Matthew and he goes, come on, man, you're a tax collector. And Matthew starts high-fiving all his buddies. You're right. You're right. We're tax collectors. He sort of gets it. That, that banter, that relationship was in that way. And us as a church, here's where we get in line with this message. We get in line when we understand that we are sick as well. How is it that we can show up week after week and be struggling with the same sin that we know is wrong? We know this sin is wrong, and yet we can constantly keep falling back to it. That is someone in need of a physician. That is someone in need of a savior, someone who is sick. 
or we have learned time and time again that there's things that we are chasing. We're chasing after things that we know we can't take with us, we know will burn. We're chasing after praise of people that we know are not going to be with us forever. We chase those things week after week, learning that it's wrong. That is someone in need of a physician, in need of a savior, someone who is sick. It's that Bible wisdom. You have it sitting next to you. There's so much wisdom in it, and we're not opening it. We're not spending time in it, knowing that all the answers are sitting literally inches away from us. That is someone who is sick. Or having the creator of the universe at the tip of your tongue. You could pray and talk to him every single day, every moment of every day, and yet we run out of time. That is people who are sick, in need of a physician in their life. Do you understand? Do you hear this? We fall in line with this when we understand that we are sick and we are in need of a physician. And we need to constantly take a step back and go, God, I am the apple. I am the one that needs help because I know of your power. I know who you are. I know what you did. I know what you can do. And yet I'm not spending time with you. I'm not changing these things. The Pharisees, they constantly said, change and you can join us. The church has a bad habit of something that they unknowingly present that you have to look a certain way to be involved in it. The Christians have a bad habit that you have to act a certain way to be a part of us. Jesus had a very different take on this. He said, follow me and you will change. As a church, what do we want to line up with? As Christians, what do we want to line up with? What Jesus is saying, follow me and you will change. Are we going out and presenting Christ in such a way that people want to know Christ? Are we the hands and feet of Christ in everything we do? And so that people say, I want to know this Christ. I want to follow this Christ. The habits, the things, the way you look, the changes, those will come. Every story in the Bible, they came later. But they followed because they said, I want this Christ. I need this Christ in my life. I want to give you three examples where Christ really shows this in such a deep way that it convicted me. In Luke 9, 57, this man says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Talk about a great recruiter. A guy comes up to Jesus and says, I'm in. I will follow you. Let's do this. Wherever you go, I am in. And he says, okay, sure, but it's going to be terrible. Just so you know, it's going to be awful. All right, let's go. That is hilarious to me. I mean, I look at that verse and I go, what an interesting response to someone saying, I'm in, I'll follow you. What is he getting at? Ladies, those of you that are married, Think back to that beautiful day when your man got down on one knee. He's like, oh, baby, you're the one for me. I have, I love you and I want you to be my lady and I'll be your man. And he starts singing the song. <laughs> he says, and then he says this, he says, I want I want you to marry me and be mine forever. As long as nothing else better comes along, will you marry me? 
Now, ladies, I want you to think, how would you have responded to that? And most of you, some of you would have been like, whatever, I'll take it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> most of you would have been, wait a second, did you say unless something better comes along? I mean, that is a proposal nobody wants. And yet when we read the Bible, we kind of do it like that. We open the Bible and we say, oh man, Jesus, this is good. You're like, you like, you bless the people that follow you. You take care of the people that follow you. I get to spend eternity with you. I'm in. I am totally in. I mean, as long as the church, they kind of, they're always asking for money. I hate that, that church. So as long as they don't get too crazy and ask me to serve at every carnival that comes along, oh my goodness. <laughs> the funny thing about the church is, and I heard this from a, a guy who was a pastor, and he said his son came up to him, and his son said, I love God. I love Christ. I'm in. But I can't stand these church people, this church stuff. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to start sending all my offering to missions. I love missions. I'm going to send my offering to missions, and then I'm going to take people out to eat, and I'm going to use my, my offering to take them out and tell them about Christ. And the dad, being a smart pastor guy, says, okay, all right. Hey, by the way, there's this couple in our church. They really like me. Like, like me. They want to take me out to eat all the time. They want to bless my ministry. They don't really like your mom that much. They, they just, they sum about her, but they like me a lot. Like, they're going to take care of me. What do you think I should do? And the son's like, I'll tell you what you should do. You, you should get in their face and tell them to get out of here. In fact, give me their phone number. I'll call them and I'll tell them a little piece of my mind. And the dad, knowing he had him at this point, it's like, yeah, you see, the church is the bride of Christ. So do you think maybe he loves his bride? Because I love your mom. And I wouldn't let anyone talk to your mom like that, right? If we do that with the church, you're basically saying, I love you. I don't like your bride that much. We have to be very careful. Because what he was getting at here was, it's follow me forever. And follow me forever means you take the good and the bad, the ups and the downs. Yeah, churches are full of people, so there's a lot of problems. You take all that too. You take the good times and the bad times. When offering's great, awesome. When it's not so great, you gotta step up. I know, it's difficult, but it's the bride of Christ and it's forever. And that's what follow me is all about. Right after that, in verse 59, the second example comes up. The second man says to Jesus, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said, allow the dead to bury the dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Seems a little harsh, Jesus, right? It's a little bit harsh. Here's where these books actually do help. Because you got to know this culture. This culture is is actually one of the fastest cultures when it came to burying their dead. Within 24 hours, when somebody would die, they'd have them in the ground, funeral service, wrapped up with a bow, done. It was, it was the fastest culture in all of history in which they would bury their dead. And this is the culture where some guy comes up and says, you know what, I want to follow you, but I need to go take care of the dead. What is he really saying? He's saying exactly what we say all the time. 
He's saying, God, I get it. I am ready to follow you. I'm excited. You are the way. I just need to take care of a couple things first. I'm right in the middle of school. And the school is like 60 plus hours. I, I have to constantly be studying. And, but when that is done, then you've got me. And I'll be smart. I'll be smart then. So you've got this smart person that's going to totally be ready to follow you and do anything you want. And then we get into our careers. And we're like, you know, there's a few things that right now they need a lot of me. And But once I get up this ladder a little bit, guess what? I'm going to be pretty wealthy, so I can add so much more. So I will now be able to give you my intelligence. I'll be able to give you some money. It's going to be huge. I'll be your best follower ever. And then we have kids. Oh, those kids. God, as these kids, I've got to get them through. Oh, there's so much. I'm a taxi. I'm going here and there. But I'm telling you, when they are out of high school and then maybe college and they move back for five years and then finally get started... Then, God, you've got me. I'm ready to follow you totally. Can you relate to this? Yeah, I think we can. We do it all the time. And Jesus says, no, absolutely not. Let the dead bury the dead. Stop chasing after the things that you know are going to burn. Stop chasing after praise. And follow me now, whatever your situation is. I don't care. It's really not about what you produce. It's about following me. The rest, we'll take care of it. The issues, the problems, the stuff, we'll take care of it. Don't worry about all of that. I want you right now. Next guy walks up. Third man says, I'll follow you, Lord. This must have been very interesting wherever he was sitting. I'll follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, you got to be thinking, it's just goodbye. It's just goodbye, Jesus. What is the issue? This one's very interesting to me. Again, knowing the culture. You have to know the culture. You didn't just go to the airport, hop on a plane, fly over to another country, do two or three weeks and fly back. It was difficult to travel. So whenever anyone traveled at all, it could be a city over, you're taking a journey. And it could last for months. And it's dangerous. The, the Everything you'd have to go through to survive it would be very difficult. And so whenever somebody left, they would throw a huge party. They would go back and they would have every single family member. It would last weeks. For weeks, you're going around having party after party because you're going on a trip and people didn't just go on trips. It was difficult. So you made a big deal about it. So what this guy is really saying is, I will follow you, but let me go have all my parties and say goodbye and make sure I've got all my T's crossed all my eyes dotted. Once every, I don't want any distractions, God. Once my distractions are all taken care of, I'm ready to follow you. And the way we do this, this one's tough because I call it the shooting star. We do this when we first come to Christ or you first take that step forward and you're going to say, I, maybe you do it even today. I'm ready to follow you completely. All of a sudden, we're like changing all of our email accounts to God quips. I love Jesus at gmail.com. On Facebook, we're posting all kinds of like, God is the greatest thing in my whole life. We go 
overboard. We stamp a bunch of things on the back of our car with all our kids' fish stickers behind it. We are so excited about this new God thing in our life. And I don't have a problem with any of that. That's why this is hard. I'm like, yes, I'm excited that you're excited. The only problem is I've seen this so many times that I call it the shooting star. Everybody turns and looks and they're like, oh, it's gone. Just sort of fades away because you start so high and you want to throw those parties and you're so excited. And a lot of times you're great at going out and sharing with all your friends about Christ. That's why I don't have a problem with it. I'm like, yes, be excited. But that, that has to be a journey that lasts forever. So you sort of need to pace yourself in your head and say, am I in forever? You start wherever you are now, and you begin to move forward with a relationship in which you are meeting with God every day. It's not something you, you schedule in at the end of the week to get it done every single day so that this grows and grows and grows. And when you die, you don't really die. You continue on in eternal life and the relationship continues to grow forever. He says that you still are growing in heaven. It's, it's this growth pattern your entire life. What he's getting at is rather than throw a party, maybe just change your life. Maybe follow me and all the other stuff will take care of itself. Can we do that? Luke 14, 27 says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The reason the cross is such a key example, we know that Jesus dies on the cross, but he's also getting at something else. When someone had a cross on them, that was a one-way trip. It wasn't like, you know, fit club walking around. You got CrossFit going on. I got my log and some tires. It wasn't like that. When you had a cross, it was a one-way trip. You were going straight through town and you were going to end up where you never came back. People were saying bye to you forever. It was a one-way trip. So he says, pick up your cross as if to say, this is it. When you say, I'm going to follow you, that is forever. I think we have a problem with that because we love freedom. In fact, we love America because of our freedom in it, right? We can do anything we want in America. I mean, they'll tax every piece of it, but you have total freedom. And then you have, you can just go where you want as long as you have the right licenses and insurances and you make sure you have your passports. As long as you've taken care of everything that they want from you, you have complete freedom. It's amazing how much freedom you have. Like you can just go take property, right? You can just do whatever you want. I'm being facetious because it's ridiculous on what we think freedom is. For me, I was really struggling until I found this book. I found it around my senior year in high school which is a little depressing. It took that long. But still, I found it, and I started reading it, and I realized for the first time, real freedom came when I found Christ. All of a sudden, I realized I am unique. That's why I don't always fit in. I don't feel comfortable all the time. I'm still trying to figure out my place in this world because Christ made me unique. He cared about me personally. I finally had the freedom to be me and to run with that. Real freedom is when we begin to follow Christ daily. Mark 10, 29, I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property 
for my sake and for the good news, will receive now in return a hundred times over. I feel like I should throw this in. Yes, as we follow him, he will bless us. But it begins when we follow him. Brothers, sisters, mothers, children, property, with persecutions. He just kind of slid that into there, just slides it in the middle. And the world to come, and I missed the end of it. So follow me forever. Follow me right now. And then follow me into a relationship. That is the key. If you are here and you haven't taken that step forward, I want to give you the opportunity right now. It's a big first step. So as you pray with me, everyone's eyes closed, heads bowed. If you're in this room, you may have accepted Christ. You have that ticket punched and you feel like I'm good. God and I are good. But as you hear this message, you say, oh, wait, I was a fan. I wasn't following. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. I don't want you to come forward to the altar. I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want you to do anything like that. I want you to think, what is it that you need to change? What is it that, what does that mean for you? When you say follow, what is it that you have to follow him with? And if you need to make a decision today and really take a step forward, I want you to write that thing on your card. Let us as pastors pray with you through it. If you raise your hand, I'd catch like two of you. But if you write it down, we can pray with you. So write it down what it, what it is that it means to follow in your life. God, we come before you and we just, we thank you for your word. As we study it, As we go deeper and deeper, we realize the most important thing is just that relationship with you, that you care about me. You care about every decision, every day. God, I'm overwhelmed by that, but I'm also blessed. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.